There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. You're very welcome along to the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast. I'm Omar David. Kieran Murphy is here too. Hello there, Owen. Hi, Kieran. It's easy to imagine that absolutely everybody is totally immersed in the World Cup, just as we are. But that's not the case. I'm here to report some very, very worrying what, news, worrying you, trend. You didn't you didn't go talking to people outside the group again, Owen, did you? I did. It was my mother. Oh, here we go. I had a right, it was a long-standing agreement to meet for lunch this week. Pre-World Cup, I hope. <laughs> it was pre-World Cup. I forgot the World Cup was on. Um, so if you're one of your yeah. biennial meetings with your mother, of yeah, course, that's so always good. I had lunch with my mum, and I asked her, innocuously, are you enjoying the World Cup? Yeah. Presuming she'd give me some treaties on why Lionel Messi has been given too much power within the Argentina mm. setup or something like that. Why she loves the Ghanaians. Something like that, yeah. Why, why she feels Bosnia were just unlucky that they didn't get the breaks in their opening two games. N- nothing like that. She says to me, I haven't really watched any of it. I know somebody bit somebody. What was his name? Sirius? Sirius? <laughs> and I said, Suarez? Yeah, 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 that's the fella. So that's a level of engagement that some people have with the World Cup. If I'm not here to have a go at my mother, all right? Yeah, well, I'm not here to do that. That's my job, Owen. And that's an outrage. <laughs> what's, she been, what's she been doing with her life? I don't know. Watching uh, loose women instead of <laughs> sitting down to watch Tony O'Donoghue's World Cup roundup. If you haven't heard the good news, we're delighted to have signed an extended contract with the Irish Times. We hope you've enjoyed listening to these programmes as much as we've enjoyed bringing them to you. And hopefully you're in for the long haul, just like ourselves. And the Irish Times, it means loads more incredible stories like this coming your way Murph if you mm. want to hear about this this I don't know if you know but Andy Murray chasing a labradoodle around Wimbledon no no I saw him wow. being I saw him being interviewed by a dog last night but I didn't th- I'm sorry I saw him being interviewed by a dog go on on the Today at Wimbledon show with John Inverdale they had some dog right that was <laughs> vaguely familiar to me like you know a, a, a puppet Hacker, I think his name was. Right. And it was really, it was really vaguely familiar. Like, I thought that I'd seen him maybe once. The dog's from Wigan, I found out. And uh, he was interviewing Andy Murray for a couple of days. And he, kept, uh, he was wearing, like, kind of a Bjorn Borg-style headband. Yeah, it was it was a weird. Yeah, this wasn't what I was expecting. There, there are two dog-related stories. Maybe they're yeah, connected. No, it was, it was a weird, it was a very, very weird. Is it a searing uh, interview? No, it, like the dog was trying to be funny. Andy Murray was trying to, you know, interact. You know, Andy Murray's media interactions can be quite awkward. So you can multiply that by a factor of 10 when he's talking to a puppet and not an actual human being. Anyway, I digress. On you were talking about a Labradoodle. USA Today, Murph, reports. Yeah. 
Wimbledon, England. Andy Murray's tale of chasing down a wayward dog on his way to practice at Wimbledon has been making the rounds. What hasn't been told is that Murray's mother, Judy, witnessed the whole event. Judy Murray. The 27-year-old Scott described the experience to BBC Radio and on his blog just before kicking off his Wimbledon title defence. He spotted the dog running down the road, stopped traffic to rescue the dog, eventually reuniting it with its owner from a nearby park. Judy, speaking with a group of reporters, said that she was in the car behind when she too saw the dog darting in and out of traffic. It was a labradoodle and they're a bit crazy, she said. It was just going around in circles. Well, Andy Murray just chasing this dog around in circles. Doesn't he have somebody to chase dogs for no, him? No, no, he's he's officially the king of SW19. He can stop traffic, <laughs> chase dogs, the whole lot. It doesn't it doesn't matter. He has the English, you know, the 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 bureaucratic engine of the English and the Great British Empire is at Andy Murray's disposal. He can do whatever the hell he likes. We'll be talking a bit about Andy Murray and his coach Amelie Moresmo. Uh, tennis is the one sport where women have something close or at least closer to parity with the men in terms of profile and prize money than uh, in many other sports but it was still seen as quite a shock that the Wimbledon champion decided to be coached by a woman Amelie Moresmo in this case and uh, it's quite interesting what he feels that she can bring to the table so we'll get to that a little bit later with Johnny Watterson who is covering Wimbledon with the Irish Times but the USA Murph takes centre stage at the World Cup today against Germany all this talk of maybe a Nice draw suiting both mm. teams. I'm not sure. Uh, it's clearly, it's an outrage to even have an unwritten agreement like that. I mean, you'd never find the Republic of Ireland and Holland playing out no. something similar in the closing stage. No. Or at least, they'd, or at least they wouldn't make a written pact about it. Yeah. They would uh, decide on the field <laughs> what was the correct course of action. The story goes, I don't know, this is maybe just the kind of story that the Italian 90 guys tell in their after-dinner speaking, mm. but that one of the, I think maybe Cascarino came off the bench and started running around like an absolute lunatic, trying to throw tackles in, press high up the pitch, do all those things that Jack Charlton used mm. to want from his players. And then Andy Townsend, or one of the others, pulls him over and says, Kaz, calm down. Relax. Like that. We, we don't want to get them angry. They, you see their players, see those Hullet, Van Basten, those guys? Yeah. If we try to score against them, they will probably succeed in scoring against us, and we could end up going out of this tournament. So mm. I don't know. Uh, don't want to cast aspersions. Maybe it wasn't Andy Townsend, but there was, uh, that, that's the story that has done the yeah, rounds. Yeah, it's, it's been peddled. It has been peddled, Murph. Let's get to US Murph. Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game. No matter who wins or loses. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior. You're being extremely truculent. Whatever truculent means, if that's good, I'm there. Strike three called, and the Giants have won the World Series. Brian, great to talk to you ahead of USA against Germany on a scale of one to ten, with ten being with ten being Richard Sherman in a post-match interview. How wound up are you for USA Germany? <laughs> That's a pretty darn good. I love your scales on a scale of one to OJ. Where does Sterling rank on a scale of one to Richard Sherman? I like these. These are very good. Oh wow! Well, nobody. Richard Sherman's a ten. Nobody can touch that. So uh, I'll leave the ten alone. And say that uh, realistically, now I may not mirror some of the other more fevered U.S. soccer lunatics, like particularly the tens of thousands who made the trip to Brazil. There's been an amazing showing by the U.S. crowd at Brazil. It's pretty awesome. I can't pretend to be at their level. I would insult them if I said I was at their level. But you know I love the World Cup, and you know 
I love the theater of it all, and I love that the uh, the U.S. has played with such great heart and uh, and tenacity. The final thirty seconds of Portugal, notwithstanding, uh, so I'll give myself a good a good eight. How's that? You got to save some room for the uh, for the round of sixteen. Oh, and I can't go to a ten <laughs> just yet, right? So. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, it's so it's such a great matchup as far as Germany and Klinsman and that angle. Not to mention that, you know, if we're going to have to do it, we're going to have to do it against one of the great superpowers, you know, if not the best, uh, the second or third best nation on earth in soccer. You know, I mean, you couldn't have drawn it up any more difficult. Playing after playing at Manaus, that's now the new statistic that's being kicked around the U.S. a lot is the, the stat of the teams that have played at Manaus are affected on the other end. They don't win. Actually, I think the stat was that not a single team that played at Manaus won its next match because of the withering heat and humidity of playing in the Amazon jungle. So we're up against that, too. You know, no Josie Altidore. But then there's all that talk of will we make a, a, a backroom deal with the Germans, you know, to play to a draw, you know. So a lot of really good, intriguing stuff. We're even taking the Murph and Max show on KMBR to a local pub to do a live broadcast uh, before the match. So that shows you. If we're leaving, if we're decamping, from our luxurious plush studios in San Fran- downtown San Francisco to a gritty pub and meeting the people face-to-face, then you know we're legit, Owen. So I'm going to go with an eight. Yeah, an eight is good, Brian. I hope you guys survive there. I mean, I've, I've seen some of the footage from the pubs in the U.S. and from people's homes. There's been a lot of stuff online that we've seen, and it looks like the U.S. soccer fans, you said the, that the ones who are really into it are pretty crazy, but I'd say that's going to be pretty raucous atmosphere in that bar. You know, it's funny, it's it, 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 undeniably growing. There's no question. I mean, you know, there have been, there still remain these sort of these little tiny factions of American sports media uh, knocking soccer for not being an American sport or being quote-unquote boring or all the old tired things that they say about what you guys call football. And, uh, and it, that's just dwindling. It really is right before our eyes growing. We've talked about the TV ratings before, and they are legit. They, I think the combined rating of ESPN and Univision, the Spanish-language uh, TV uh, network here in the States, the combined uh, audience for the Portugal game eclipsed the all-time mark, which was the 1999 U.S. women. That's right. Our, our most-watched soccer game ever was a women's game. The famous Brandy Chastain tear-off the jersey. Uh, I don't know, even know if you guys were paying attention to that. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, we remember it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But it was, uh, we beat China and Brandy uh, tore off her jersey and everything. By the way, I just had a golf tournament with Brandy Chastain this past week. They're still making, you go to a, a golf tournament 15 years later, and when she gets introduced, they're still making references to the to the jersey uh, coming off, you know. So uh, so that lived, and, and that eclipsed the 99 rating. So that's where we're at. I would imagine the Germany match would do the same. However, it's not as optimal a time, 9 a.m. on the West Coast and uh, here in the States at noon on the East Coast on a Thursday doesn't quite match the Sunday 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific uh, kickoff we had against Portugal. So it'd be interesting to see what the numbers are. But yes, there's no question that many, many more mainstream American sports fans are talking about it. There's water cooler chatter. If you have a water cooler anymore, uh, it's, uh, it's Twitter chatter like crazy. Uh, it's, people are buying jerseys, wearing kits. They're doing their thing. I can compare it. I've really been into the World Cups in 90, I'd say, was the first one I really rolled up my sleeves and got into. I was sort of like to pat myself on the back here, Owen, with you. I was a little, little ahead of the American curve on the World Cup, but I've always enjoyed it since 90 when Italy hosted it and lost to Argentina in the semifinals, as I recall. 
but I would say comparing it from then to now, not even. I mean, what? It's not even a comparison. A different worlds. So, it's it's legit. And if we somehow forge a draw with Germany, which we could. If we pull off a miracle and beat them, which I certainly don't think is going to happen, uh, then you, God only knows what, the, you know, Katie barred the door for the round of 16, you know. Now, we have advanced before. We made it to the quarterfinals in 94 when we played uh, here in the States. We played Brazil on the 4th of July at Stanford Stadium, a memorable day. But again, that was 20 years ago, and even then, while the interest that was there then is nothing compared to now. So it's legit. It's arriving, and the U.S. can do a lot to build that bonfire with a good performance against Germany. I've really enjoyed watching the US team, Brian. I think a lot of people have. Uh, we did make the point last week, it's one of the rare spheres in which you can see the an American team as, as plucky underdogs and anything. But they've been great to watch. And I have to say, though, for the, the newer fans who've come to the party a little more recently, it might be no harm that you guys had that heartbreak against Portugal so that people realise that soccer is the same as every other sport, that you, you, you don't necessarily get the last-minute heroics in favour of your own team every time. It must have been pretty heartbreaking to watch, though, as Portugal, especially because it doesn't make any difference to Portugal. They're going to go out anyway. You know, it's funny you say that because we have these, you know, we've, we've been accustomed to what we call a buzzer-beater in basketball, you know, the last second shot, or what they call in baseball a walk-off loss where a team in the bottom of the ninth comes from behind and, and, and scores the winning run and ends the game right then and there, or in football, what you call a Hail Mary pass. We all have our, our standards in American sports of what constitutes a heartbreaking loss. We never really knew what it was like in soccer as a, as a group. Now, you know, like I said, there are those who have followed soccer forever that know it, but those the masses who are just coming to the sport – experience it just like you said the, the what's happened in football or soccer throughout the the decades i recall correct me if i'm wrong now did manchester united when they won the what they called the treble right wasn't there a stunning ending where they scored like two goals in the last minute yeah, you've a, got a bang on there brian they beat bayern right, munich with right. sheringham and solskjaer scoring two in pretty much an injury time it was like stunning right like an amazing oh, yeah. moment in soccer history right and I remember watching that in a pub going, oh, my God, the drama this sport can produce, right? And didn't, didn't Man City in the last year or two have some sort of dramatic finish? Yeah, they won the Premier League with uh, the great knowledge, Brian. They, they had the Premier League victory when uh, Aguero scored, Sergio Aguero, last minute. Again, they needed two go. goals in injury time. See, see, there you go. The you, you have all the details for me. You're all over it, man. But I just remember these vaguely that there were very dramatic moments in soccer history. Heck, you even throw in something like an Ivory Coast Greece yesterday or on Tuesday with the uh, the the. Uh, of course, I had Ivory Coast in a betting pool, so I was very upset at that call. Uh, you throw in a Uruguay header on Italy in the 82nd minute. Now it wasn't the 92nd minute, but still. So yeah, we experienced it. And what Tim Howard, the American goalie, said afterwards, and it was kind of funny to see this quote. Because he's an American, but he said football is cruel sometimes. And he even called it football for us, saying, you know, come on, Americans, learn it. It's not just soccer, it's football. But, you know, it, we got the cliches from the soccer. Sport is cruel. Football is cruel. Soccer is cruel. So we learned it at first, firsthand. We, we joined that lexicon of, 
of those matches we're talking about, Man City and uh, and the the Man U treble and the and the Ivory Coast Greece and all the other ones I just mentioned, we're now in that pantheon. And yeah, we had to learn that the, the, the these kind of things can happen. Also, it showed me too, like you think about the great nations like Germany and Brazil, and you see it doesn't those those teams don't have breakdowns like that at the last second. You know, it just seems like that's another thing that Americans need to kind of get better at. Play the complete match. Play the airtight defense all the way to the end. The people who know soccer really well were explaining to those of us uh, in the middle masses there of how at the la- what exactly went wrong at the end there. Bradley losing the ball at midfield. And Klinsman had uh, – some people were saying Klinsman had kind of anticipated that we were getting soft on defense because he was wildly urging his team to get back prior, just prior to the Ronaldo cross. And so they're saying you've got to watch these things. You know, you've got to watch how the defensive line moves. So we're learning, Owen. We're learning the hard way, but we're learning. Yeah, but Brian, all your hopes are now pinned on the U.S. because you mentioned that the Ivory Coast were the team that you got in the betting. They're gone. The Republic of Ireland, who might have been your second team, oh, they were on. nowhere near qualifying. Italy, who would be your second team, uh, family roots there as well. They went out in... Well, it's to put it mildly, a controversial game. Has the Luis Suarez incident made much airtime over there? Oh, my God. You would not believe That's another thing. You know what they say sometimes? They say the only bad publicity is an obituary. I've heard that before. <laughs> I mean, you want to talk about it. People say it's bad for soccer or bad for the World Cup that Suarez did that. Uh-uh. <laughs> it got talked about coast to coast. And I'm talking about the national ESPN personalities who host daily talk shows who would never talk about soccer in, if their life depended on it between the U.S. run against Portugal and the Suarez bite. That's all they're talking about. That's all anybody's talking about. And you can say it's bad for soccer, that it's negative, but no, everybody's buzzing about it. Everybody's waiting to see what's going to happen. It makes, generates that much more interest in the next match. So yeah, the Suarez bite incident, absolutely coast to coast. I think it's a global firestorm, really. I mean, I'm sure you guys in Europe are all over it, but even here, I can report that in North America, from West Coast to East Coast, everybody has an opinion on it. Well, most everybody's horrified and shocked and can't believe that people do things like this, but it's also that that it's such a prominent player too that it wasn't just a bit player doing it that it was their star player and yes when it comes to the personal rooting interests it's funny people get on me they say you know i believe it was you guys your very own how just exactly how many nations are you rooting for <laughs> uh, three the answer is three i always root for the u.s italy and ireland and of course ireland didn't make it so italy and the u.s are my uh, my other two italy gone and boy, you want to talk about a disappointment. I looked. I was like, I, I was like, this is an unfamiliar feeling as a fan of the Azuri. I looked it up. This is the first time they've not made it out of group in back-to-back World Cups since '62, '66. Wow. That's a legacy of. Uh, I mean, they're royalty, man. To see them go home twice in group stage at back-to-back World Cups has been real. Stunning. Not a shocker that Prandelli and everybody basically just resigned immediately right after the match because it's kind of unacceptable stuff. So, yeah, it's, it's a tremendous buzz. But, yes, the U.S. is my last rooting interest. I'm going down with my home country, my, my birth country. The only thing I would say is when Italy and Ireland are playing and I go to the pubs and I, and I hobnob with the supporters, it means so much more to the Irish and to the Italians to be in that stage than to the Americans. I think as much as I've talked up the interest that we have have had, and it is legit, there is a a strong, firm, rooting interest in the U.S., 
if indeed we lose and somehow don't make it out of group, people will be like, oh, okay, you know, that was a fun run. But, you know, what's going on with the baseball? What's going on with the NBA draft? Well, NFL training camps open next month. Whereas, you know, for the Italians, this is going to be a, you know, a, a year-long uh, self-examination, right? And the Irish are just like, when can we get back there? You know, you guys are dying. Mm-hmm. And the Americans, as into it as we are, I don't think it's in our DNA and fiber, you know, that, that we'll be absolutely gutted if we lose the match. I mean, we'll be upset, of course, but I don't think as much as it meant for the Italians and the English and the Spaniards, right, all those great nations that have been eliminated. So <laughs> I'm going to fall back on that if things don't go our way. Yeah, if Thursday. your final team gets knocked out. Brian, I wanted to check in briefly on one other story because the World Cup, it's, it's so big over here that uh, a lot of other stories can get buried somewhat. But I was following your Twitter feed and I noted how into the Women's US Open you were because you mm. really wanted Michelle Wee to win her first major, which she did. She got the she got the job done. Why is it that you're so um, that you that you're so interested in this sports person? Wow, yeah, you're right. And it was funny because it was going on. It was actually going on the day of the Portugal match. And in fact, we hold out to win the Open right when the anthems were being played. You know, I mean, it was a real collision of TV con- remote control. <laughs> but honest to goodness, Owen, I was. I was sticking with we to the end. Now, first of all, I love golf. You know, and I write a Yahoo Sports golf column. And, in fact, I wrote one on Michelle Wee that, um, that uh, here, I, I'm always recommending links to you guys, right? Yeah. I recommend my own damn link to you guys, <laughs> all right? The Yahoo Sports golf column. Because I, I felt a connection to her story because I covered her very first U.S. Open when she was 13. I was wor- working with the San Francisco Chronicle. I met her when she was just starting. She was a couple months off of the Kraft Nabisco appearance in the final group she had played with Annika Sorenstam. And she was just, you know, the sensation of sensations. She was 13. And the thing that got everybody was, my God, look at that golf swing. She appeared to have one of the most beautiful golfs. I remember Johnny Miller said, right now she has one of the five best golf swings in the world. I remember he was saying, like, this is like Ernie L's type golf swing. So, so I was fascinated with this, this Mozart. You know what I mean? She was this Mozart. She was 13, and she had one of the five best golf swings in the world, according to Johnny Miller. Now, some people can say Johnny Miller's full of it, but I was impressed. And she's obviously a striking young woman, you know, six feet tall at age 13, you know. And the fact that she was such a little girl, too. She had the braces on. When I interviewed her, she talked about her Harry Potter, Harry Potter books and all this. And yet she would go onto the course and become this magnificent player. So I was always fascinated by her. And I rooted for her because I sort of, I just, I don't know. There was a certain a gift about her that I liked. I was like, hey, what, a, what a great player. And then I watched her make misstep after misstep after misstep, whether it was, uh, you know, uh, trying to play too many men's events, uh, falling to heat exhaustion and walking off a course, faking an injury, uh, insulting Annika Sorenstam by not showing up to her event, um, uh, trying to play more men's events when it was clearly the wrong thing to do, uh, rules violation after rules, and all of these missteps. And then it was like, she's done. She was one of the, just one of the great flameouts of our time. A media product of the media hype. Maybe I was guilty of being part of that machine that made her into something she wasn't. And it was a cautionary tale. And then look what happened. She she actually took time to live her life. And I was just sort of fascinated that in this society where we just twenty four hour news cycle, bury somebody and move on. You know, Donald Sterling, boom, move on, you know, whatever. That she hung around and she went to Stanford, right here in the Bay Area, beautiful great university, national class university. Got her degree, you know, grew up, kept playing golf, 
appeared to become a very mature, likable young woman, and then said, now I'm ready to start you know, really competing on the LPGA again. And you're like, huh, Michelle Wee's still around 10 <laughs> years later? And now Michelle Wee's winning, and now she, she wins in uh, Hawaii in April. She finishes second at the Craft Nabisco, and now here we are at the best of them all for here in the United States, the U.S. Women's Open, and there she is. First round, second round, third round, and everybody's like, what? Well, she's going to choke. She's always a choker. She's going to make a rules mistake. And here she is handling her game and handling her, her mind and handling that beautiful golf swing all the way to the end, including a, a near disaster, almost lost her golf ball in the 16th hole, had to make double bogey. Her three-shot lead becomes one. And then on a moment of truth, birdies the 17th hole with a beautiful eight iron on a 160-yard hole and a 25-foot putt and pumps her fist. And I was like, you know what? That's a 10-year journey. That's pretty neat. I like, That's a pretty neat story. That's somebody who's been – from the mountaintop to the lowest of the depths, forgotten, discarded, cast aside, jokes. There was a, she was a punchline, really. She was a joke. And for her to climb all the way back and to see her cradling that trophy uh, at sunset at Pinehurst, I was like, that is a real, to me, that was a really compelling story. So I definitely paid a lot of attention to it. I liked writing about it. And I congratulate her. I think it's a great story in this now, now, now society where we're blowing off people daily. She hung around, and she achieved. So I think it's really neat, and uh, I'm glad you asked me about her because I think it's, it's one of the more positive stories of the year. Yeah, and beautifully told, Brian. Listen, it's great to talk to you. Um, we hope you enjoy the game, and, um, well, we also hope that pub isn't full of Richard Shermans in post-match interview mode, <laughs> but let's hope the USA win. Thanks for talking to us. All right, and all the best. Thanks for your support, boys. I know the, I got a lot of great tweets from all the Irish Second Captains listeners, and I appreciate them all. Brian, take care. All right. You can see the level of expectancy. Coach, this is the game you wanted a victory, boy. It didn't happen. What happened? Oh, that makes such an idiot. A game that they've been looking forward to for a long time. Where do you where do you think you got it all wrong today? And then Pepe just ruins it for everyone. Thanks a lot, Pepe. You can see the level of expectancy. Oh, <laughs> the neighbor was saying, "Take our penalty." He was fucking dreadful. Sorry, we're not here. We're not here. Oh, we're not here. We are. Oh. Well, I apologize for that, but obviously, <laughs> it didn't exactly to win. All right. Well, now I've got to be honest, Karen. I. I do fear slightly for US Murph there. He sounds, I mean, it's only a pub. Yeah. He sounds genuinely afraid. And it is extremely early in the morning. I mean, you're talking, it's a morning show that he's doing down there. I mean, I think it's going to be okay. Yeah. Unless it's an early house. <laughs> I wouldn't want him to go into some of the early houses in Dublin, for instance, mm. and bring his unique brand of high energy, high octane, non stop American positivity to that sort of an environment. It's, but I think it's probably going to be all right in California. It's interesting what he says there, that the rump of media who still will not touch soccer is getting, mm. football, is getting smaller and smaller. And I think that's probably only going to continue. I know maybe this is something that we do obsess about a little too much, how much the Americans care about football. And I brought this up with Ken last week and there was a bit of a careful what you wish for from Ken, who yeah. uh, isn't sure that he, he wants to see the USA dominating the world scene for 100 years mm. from about 20 years' time. But the, certainly in terms of the demographics and those involved, those supporting football in the US, it is getting much bigger. And it's interesting what Brian says, just to come back to this, that it's not just 
the sort of I don't know maybe more liberal uh, sports media. It's actually the your ESPN talk show hosts. These guys who would never touch football with a barge pole are getting involved in the thing. And it's, yeah. it's just. It's nice to see people getting excited, whether they're American or not, about the world. Yeah, exactly. You know, and Brian's point there about how they're going to get excited, and then they're going to stop caring about it very soon. I mean, I can handle that level of inter- of, you know, that's the same as a lot of people in a lot of countries. No. Well, if you look at all of the countries in the World Cup now, football is probably the biggest sport in, oh, a lot of them. Yeah, true. An awful lot of them. God, if you, there is a question for you is there is there a country other than well australia is one uh that's that might be it though is it in the other 30 countries is football the biggest sport in that country i mean you could as soon as make... we go off air we're going to think of five yeah. where it quite clearly but right now australia on... one was a clear and obvious one that yeah. i didn't pick up on yeah but right now on uh that's what we're going with south africa aren't in at this time so yeah i'm gonna go with that we've loads more world cup chat in our second show today richie sadler is going to be in studio for that one and if you want to a glimpse behind the scenes and how Richie covers a story like the Suarez biting. I think he was in for the later game that day when that actually happened and uh, he then had to think and I suppose the rest of his panel had to think about how they were going to cover that. So I think that's quite interesting. We're also going to talk about Messi with Ken and with Richie and whether or not he does have all this influence. Well, nobody nobody is 100% sure how much influence he has, but is it actually okay for a footballer to control the team? It's generally seen as a terrible thing, but didn't Zidane take over? Didn't the French? It uh, happens a lot in France. The French rugby team, the players took over in the 2011 mm. World Cup and almost won the thing for them. So maybe I don't know. Maybe it's okay just to have a figurehead there as a coach, and you can throw water on him as the vets yeah. all you want, <laughs> and then the other coach can kind of laugh at that, which was strange. But we'll get to all that a little bit later on. Time now for a bit of this. That's right. You're a real Irishman. You get the potato yeah. I left in your dressing room there. Got the potatoes yeah. and the puccine. Huh? And the puccine. Oh yeah, there you are. <laughs> Right, yeah, in uh, County Meath, a place called Navin. Hello there, old. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there is a. It's time for Pierce Brosnan's Emigrant Shoutouts. If it wasn't immediately obvious, yeah. Uh, and there's a saying amongst globetrotters, socialites, and the glitterati the world over that wherever you go, there will always be a tulip wearing a Mayo jersey. And try as I might to ban them from this slot on, there's no keeping them down. So Jonathan Dunning. Come on, Dan. Here we go. Hi, Murph. On a recent trip to China, I discovered to my horror that I was unable to download your podcast. I tried to download it through the usual channels and even some not quite so legitimate alternatives, all to no avail. Unsurprisingly, this severely affected my mood throughout the trip. And as it was the first time I'd seen my girlfriend in six months, you can imagine that this went down rather badly. No words could explain why I so badly wanted to hear your views on Gavin Duffy's switch from rugby to GA. Owen's unbiased assessment of the dubs and Ken's reaction to Pepe's sending off against Germany. As a fellow admirer of Pepe's work, this had me feeling as I usually do at around 5pm inside Crow Park on the third Sunday of most Septembers. So my message is twofold. Firstly, to alert your attention to the fact that your podcast isn't available in China. I hope it wasn't just me being inept with technology. Jonathan, I'm not going to say which one I'm going for, but anyway. Secondly, I hope that this act of goodwill is worthy of a P-Bezzo shout-out. Please find attached a photo of me hiking on the Great Wall of China with a big bag of cans. Regards, Jonathan. And so the photograph is, there he is, at the Great Wall of China with a Mayo jersey from the turn of the... I'm, I'm thinking Pat Holmes's time in charge of Mayo. That's the sort of right. era we're going for with the, with, the, with the jersey. And he does look extremely pleased with himself. So, Jonathan, you've got yourself a P-Bezzo shout-out. And we... 
might send you a t-shirt. I mean, I'm going to decide that later Does on. Does he have a bag of cans? Yeah, but there's... Yeah, That's not right. It's, like, it's the Great Wall of China. I mean, come on. Anyway, listen, you know, best of luck to you. You know, whatever floats your boat, John. Don't dehydrate yourself. It's a fair That's bit of all I would say. Out, That's all I would say. Another email here from me. Hugh Gibbons of Drumshambo, County Leitrim. Guys, massive fan of the show. World Cup P-Bezzo slots reminded me that I hadn't sent in the P-Bezzo photos that I took recently. I'm a student in Chicago at the moment, but I've travelled during the holidays. So Murphanone said in the last show that they're looking for celebrities. I think that these two photos, two photos, fulfil that criteria. Yes, yes. First photograph is from Rio. Uh, with Rio the Ferdinand? Mo- Rio de Janeiro. Oh. Uh, with the most famous of them all, our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Christopher Redentor. Although I'm sure many have sent in similar photographs before. So not it's cheating. Not great. I mean, it's just a statue. It's not an actual celebrity. But the second one, on, going to say fair dues. Uh, the second photograph... I think this celebrity will be hard beaten. Oprah? It's Guhanda Sabino. Yes, on the largest silverback gorilla and possibly the most friendly, although you might not notice it from this photograph, in Africa, if not the world. A real global celebrity, but particularly down here in Rwanda. <laughs> Yours in sport, Hugh Gibbons. So he has actually gotten to within, I'm going to say, 100 yards of an extremely large gorilla. And then he scrawled P. Bezo on a tiny piece of paper. So Hugh Gibbons may look like a crazy person, and he may scro- he may write the letters P. B. E. S. O. like he's a crazy person, but he's all right in my book. So shine on, you crazy diamond! You've got yourself a Pierce Brosnan T-shirt. Fair play to you, Hugh. Not happy. Why? What? Well, that's not a celebrity. Guhanda Sabino isn't a celebrity. Do you know who Hugh Gibbons reminds me of Murph? Who? Not a specific person, but he reminds okay. me of a type of person. That type of person we've probably all been this person at some stage in our lives. Is somebody who arrives into their exam, yeah, hasn't really done the work, yeah, but has enough smarts about them and creativity that they can they can throw something out there. Or you, you're doing a certain part of the paper just didn't suit you, yeah. just hadn't studied any of the questions that were asked. So you start reciting from you could be doing your leaving cert and you're reciting from something you did in first year, yeah. So you're getting something out there, sure, but it's nonsense, really. Yeah. I mean, what he's done there, it's entertaining nonsense. He's just hoping for a pass mark somehow yeah. to get to 40% and he'll just leave. He'll take that. He'll move on to his stronger subjects. You sure about Gahanda Sabino? Yeah, I'm sure about Gahanda. He's a very large silverback gorilla and extremely large. Andy Murray has had no early worries in defence of his Wimbledon title. He's back out tomorrow. And what we want to focus on largely is his choice of coach in Amelie Moresmo. Johnny Watterson is at Wimbledon covering it for the Irish Times. Johnny, how are you enjoying it so far? Good on. It's been going well. Um, the the main players are still there, which people like. Uh, the tournament likes, and uh, so far so good in that respect. Andy Murray is the main player who we want to talk to you about today, and particularly his new coach, Amelie Moresmo. When this uh, decision was made, it created quite a quite a bit of interest, I think. But can I ask you first of all, is it too early to maybe it might be too early to ask you if there's any discernible difference in Andy Murray in the way he plays or in his demeanor or anything like that? He certainly has looked more relaxed, but every time he steps on court, uh, people are looking to see signs of Moresmo. She was uh, known for coming into the net. She was known for her touch. She was known for just playing around the net a bit more than Murray does. But really, no one has seen any real sign of him changing dramatically. I think her changes, and he spoke about this yesterday at his press conference, her changes are more in his head, his, his, his the way he approaches matches. Um, he said himself that it was too early for her to, to change anything physical about his game. Um, everyone has been asking him, 
you know, has she done this? And he said, no, it's just too early to do that. Um, it takes time to change the way he physically plays, but what she can do is change his mindset more quickly. And I think that's what she's been doing in this tournament, and that's what he's been talking about. Yeah, I've heard even Judy Murray talking about this as well, talking about female coaches as opposed to male coaches having softer skills, is how Judy Murray described it. They're probably better listeners. There's less ego with women than with men. It's interesting that the two of them, both Andy and Judy Murray, are speaking about this, because you can, I'd say from Andy's point of view, you could be wary of going down the road of stereotyping uh, women versus men in sport and, and how they act, but they seem to be handling it quite comfortably. Yeah, it's it's a strange, it's strange that Murray holds its view because sport, male sport is a bit jockey in locker room and people don't normally talk about my coach being a good listener. Yeah. It's not, it's just not something guys do. But Murray has had his mother as a coach since he was a kid. And as he said, he's used he's used to listening to a female voice and it, it, it doesn't bother him. He doesn't think about it too much. It's just the way life has been for him. And that it's not the normal way. Uh, although people like Jimmy Connors had his, his mother coaching him and there are female coaches out there coaching male players. But certainly Murray is the first at his level to have deliberately gone off and chosen a coach like Moresmo uh, and got her into his team. Uh, and that's, I suppose, what, my, what makes him different. Um, there were people queuing up. Ivan Lendl left. And le- le- Lendl left in good terms. He just didn't want to do the travelling anymore. Uh, that's why he wanted to watch his daughters playing golf. But I, I suppose for Murray to do, to do that and to choose a woman to be his coach and to choose a gay woman to be his coach uh, shows his own strength of character in that he knows what he thinks. He doesn't really care what other people think. And he has a mind to do that. And I think that shows a strength on his part. None of these, uh, what you talk about there, none of these things should be issues. But I guess they could be for some players. I know um, Matasevic and, and probably others in the on the male circuit would think of the idea of a woman coach as being, I don't want to say abhorrent and maybe putting words in there, but it certainly would be anathema to them. They, they, it seems like, as you say, maybe Murray's just made of a little bit thicker skin and can see past uh, what should be non-issues, really. Exactly. Um, you're, you're always going to get, the, 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 in tennis, it's just like life, you're, you're going to get a var- various opinions on things. And player, players sometimes blurt out what they, th- what they think without really thinking about it. And there have been a couple of negative comments um, and I think largely they've been more sort of looking at her as a woman. The, the gayness hasn't been such an issue, but the fact that she's a woman uh, has, in some people's minds, been an issue. And yeah, I think Murray just sees that as an non-issue. And in a sense, he's right to see it like that because it isn't an issue. And the fact that other people see it as such, you know, is their own problem, I suppose. But no, it, it, it it's not an issue that she's gay. It has been more an issue that she's a woman and it, there, there's been no basis for it, absolutely none. So it's purely misogyny as far as I can see. Johnny, away from the from that side of it, in terms of what she brings, we've touched on it a little bit, but it's interesting. Am I right in saying that, certainly in terms of their careers and um, how you would think of them as players. Moresmo would be very different from Ivan Lendl and the 
sort of metronomic element that Lendl brought there. I suppose we, we've talked a bit about emotion there and that kind of thing that Judy Murray talks that um, Amelie Moresmo was seen as uh, a superb player, but maybe n- maybe not the type of person you would imagine would be a hundred percent on the sort of mental side of things. Not not, not a machine in that way. Exactly, she's almost the polar opposite of Lendl. Um, she, I, I suppose, she's more carrot and stick. Um, she. Uh, even as a player, she had a reputation for choking, um, which sort of meant she thought too much about things and allowed it to, to get into her head and allowed it to affect, to affect the way she played. But despite that, um, she's only one of, I think outside the Williams sisters, only four other women have won Wimbledon since 2000, last 14 years. The Williams sisters have won it 10 times and Sharapova has won it, Bartoli has won it, Moret has won it and Kvideva has won it so he's just one of four who have sort of punched through and actually did go the whole way and win it so she she certainly has mental strength and her mental strength was to get over her own frailties in a sense and that she stopped choking she stopped tanking matches and she got over it and she won Wimbledon mm-hmm. so there, there, there's a strength there and certainly Orlando would have been the, the, the Grim Reaper and you know armor plating Murray. Marismo would be more nuanced in the way she deals with them, the way she speaks to them. And all of these players are looking for freshness in their game. I mean, Murray's won Grand Slam, so he knows how to do it. So you ask, well, what's a coach going going to tell him how to win Wimbledon when he's already won Wimbledon? And it's just this, the freshness, the, 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 the sounding board, the, the telling Murray the ideas he already knows, but just telling him in a different way. So there, there are lots of subtle things she can do, and I think really that's what he's looking for here. All right. Listen, Johnny Watterson at Wimbledon. Great to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you, Owen. I knew the place. Clough, that he calls me Ravi, didn't know them. He said to me, what can you do that the boss hasn't done? You, the boss. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. But there's no way to win it better. Why not? Only, no, 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 no. But that's the only hope I've got. We've only, we only lost four matches. Then, but that, well, I can only lose three. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. Fluff, that he calls me Ravi. Good luck. Now that might that might be you know aiming for utopia, and it might be might mean being a little bit stupid. But that is the way I am. I'm a little bit stupid regarding this type of thing. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. Yeah, I think after after speaking to Johnny there, Murphy, I'm going to confirm my tip for the top. Who? Plucky young Scott, Andy Murray. <laughs> I think, he, I think he might have it in him to he's, retain that title. He's got what it takes to be the next big thing in uh, world tennis. Talk to us briefly before we go about the GA this weekend. Your highlight? Your highlight is a match that nobody will see, I yeah. guess. <laughs> Certainly nobody will see live. Uh, yeah, well, no one's going to see it on TV, but uh, I'm pickup has been slow. You may remember that on Monday, I did put an appeal out to everyone in the, basically within a five-minute walk of O'Connor Park in Tullamore to take me into their homes, allow me to watch Brazil Chile at 5 o'clock, and then go to the hurling. Go to the hurling in Tullamore at 7pm, goal against Kilkenny in the replay, not on TV. Uh, so I'm going to have to go down there, wear my, wear my, my maroon jersey uh, with pride, uh, and also report on it as an unbiased journalist, of course. That's, no, yeah. my, that's my job, after all. That's yep. my 9 to 5. 
so that's without a doubt the highlight of the weekend. It's going to be. Uh, it's. I, I think. It, well, see, the great thing about it is no one has a clue what's going to happen <laughs> because it's Galway. So you would think that on the back of a good performance last week, we would be somewhere closer to understanding where Galway is actually going to be. We don't have a clue. We have. We have no idea what what Galway are going to bring to the table. But uh, that's you know that's kind of the the joy of it all, really, isn't it? The Leinster semi-finals are on as well. Kildare meet Dublin and Wexford. So in the football, um, yeah. But it could be argued that we don't really know who Kenny are going to bring to the table either. And this is the big issue. Nobody would have foreseen them conceding a ten point. When you think back to last weekend, it's absolutely crazy mm. what happened in that game. So who knows whether Kilkenny? It's all always assumed. I'm trying to think back to the 2012 All Ireland final. Did we all assume that Kilkenny were going to come out the second day and hammer Galway like they did? Maybe we didn't. Um, there were t- there was a bit of talk that maybe they're. I they did. Had uh, at that stage. What I was did. Uh, I did write a column, an entire column, about how the one thing we can say now that after Galway had won the Leinster final, then repeated the dose by you know putting in a brilliant performance and drawing with them in the first game, is that Galway are going to show up? Kilkenny. The one thing that isn't going to happen here is that Kilkenny are going to streak away from Galway. And hammer them, you know. Goldie have lanced the boil. There is no inferiority complex anymore. And then, of course, Kilkenny go out and beat them by 11 points. Just a reminder that we have signed an extended contract with the Irish Times. You can get all our shows on irishtimes.com forward slash second captains. Get on to irishtimes.com forward slash podcasts to have a listen to some of the other amazing programs out there. Do follow us on Twitter at second captains, facebook.com forward slash second captains a little later today. Depends when you're listening to this, but... Uh, on uh, what day are we on? Thursday. Thursday. We will have Ken from, I think he's in Recife now. I don't know why I'm pronouncing it like that. I know it's not how exactly Recife, so yeah. I tried to do something with it, but I think I failed miserably. He's in Brazil. In and Brazil. we'll talk to him. Richie Sadler is in Dublin. We'll talk to him too in studio. That should be a good show, so we look forward to bringing you that. Kieran, thank you. Thank you all. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll talk to you later on. Bye bye. What is that? It's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those 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 boys.